What's up, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of the Extracurricular Podcast. Gary and I are thrilled to have you guys here. Thank you so much for clicking on the link. I know we don't have shit to our names right now, but I promise you, one day we will. Though our intro's fairly smooth on the ears, we can't say the same for this episode and the next few. It may or may not sound like you're on a phone call or like you're using the other landline to eavesdrop on a family member. I blame myself for ordering a microphone on AliExpress two months ago that has yet to show up. Nonetheless, we have a dope episode in store for you. Today, our guest is a guy named Justin Bourgeois. Justin is a natural-born sailor, acrobat, and free spirit. He works as a deckhand on super yachts for the rich and famous. We talk about what it's like choosing a risky career path, making friends in a city where you know no one, crazy boat stories, and why cheerleading is a sport. Let's get into it. My name's Hayden. And my name is Gary. And this is the Extracurricular Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Um, I wanted to present you, but I didn't want to get the terms wrong. So I don't know what your exact title is. You have one of the most unorthodox career paths that (laughs) I know personally. Um, So if you care to like just give a little explanation of like what you do or what your title is, then you can go ahead, man. Well, essentially, <clears throat> right now what I do, I uh, right now I'm I'm a deckhand in the super yacht industry, so I work and live on the boats of this of the rich and famous, basically, like of the super rich and super famous, and uh, it's an industry that takes quite a while to move up in, um, and most people will start in this industry later on, like either because they switched careers or. It's it's a scary thing to get into when you're young because it's like really unknown and you have to end up like anywhere in the world. And uh, but I I started at 19, and the fact that I started young helps me out a lot because you know it shows like motivation, shows determination, all that stuff. And like in the past six months, I went from deckhand to bosun. So it goes like deckhand, bottom of the ladder, bosun, mate, chief officer, captain. Like that's the. That's the right. ranking. And uh, so I went from deckhand to bosun. And now I'm, um, well, obviously because of COVID, like I'm on pause here. But yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for COVID, then I'd be like logging my hours, doing my time and like working up higher and higher. And um, like a good example of that is like last week I was contacted by a, a yacht owner who was looking for a, uh, for a mate on his boat, for, on his 100 footer. So on his boat, he had wow. a captain, the captain's wife as the chef. And then they wanted me as a mate to basically like oversee all operations. And that includes as much maintenance of the boat, as much as docking of the boat. The captain's there to oversee everything. And I'm here to like uh, put everything into action. And um, so like going from deckhand bosun mate, like if I if that job would have went through, <laughs> yeah, that would have been really good for my progression in this career because, <clears throat> like, no one jumps that quickly. <laughs> like it's a really that's like a that's a crazy luck shot. Yeah. Um, but you know, like you keep connections and 
that guy will probably call me when COVID's over, right? So it's yeah. it's an industry that's very um, connection oriented. Like if you have the right connection, um, you can really go quick, but you have to show on your part as well that you're willing to do it. Like th- for example, this winter, um, I was I had just finished a contract and I went right to Florida to get my 200 ton captain license. So even if I'm not a captain, I went out and got myself licensed as one because I had like the sea time and the requirements and prerequisites to do it. And then when you apply on a job as a 20 year old deckhand that already has a captain license and experience and six years of teaching and all of this stuff, then they go like, Oh wow, this guy's really motivated. Like we want him on our program. And then that helps me out. So (laughs) it's, uh, you know, it's an industry that takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of like, I guess, guts to get into because it's rather complex to like fully immerse yourself into it. And then once you're in it, it's pretty volatile as well. Cause you can get fired on the stupid reasons. Like if the owner's wife thinks you're too hot and you're going to like marry her daughter, she can fire you. <laughs> like, it's really that stupid. Like if you, you have like a fucking, they don't like your hair, you're fired. <laughs> you're it's, it's really yeah the yepa the, there's no um there's no like uh union you know that protects you or anything yeah so those so are, you, that's that international waters mentality son exactly exactly <laughs> there's no laws there's no laws there's no tax either but there's no laws <laughs> well does it does your age turn off like potential employers do they look at you and they're like a 19 year old a 20 year old like a 21 year old are you 20 or 21? I'm 20. You're 20. And do they look at a 20 year old and they're like, Oh, I wouldn't trust him to, to deckhand my ship or be my mate. <laughs> well, uh, I'd say it depends on the person and it depends on what's written in your resume. Right. Yeah. Um, for example, I'm very, very thankful to have had my uh, previous job, which was like a sailing instructor. Right. So I, I was a sailing instructor at a sailing school out here on the North shore. And I did that from age 13 to 19, basically, like all through my high school and college during the summers, I would teach at the sailing school. And then when I turned 17, I became the coordinator of the sailing school. And then I was offered director, but I didn't take it because it was too much like, I just wanted to sail. I didn't want to like direct people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, and like, so that means I have, you know, like six years of experience in the nautical industry not necessarily the super yacht industry but it's around boats and it's it, you know it more or less uh shares the same um activities if you will and so when a captain is or when i'm applying on a job now and they see my resume where it says you know like uh six years as a sailing instructor slash coordinator uh then six months on a 150 foot yacht in Vancouver and has it went this winter to get his captain license, like a bunch of references that shows that I'm motivated and they shouldn't be afraid of my age. If I was like, just totally like getting into it and never stepped foot on a boat with a lot, which a lot of people do, like a lot of people give them like try it out. And for some it works for some it doesn't, but if you've never stepped foot on a boat and you, you have like, let's say service experience as a waiter or something that can help because you are catering to like pretty high standards mm. um, that can help. But then you've never stepped foot on a boat. 
And that's when the element of danger comes in. Like eventually when I am a captain, I won't want to hire someone who's never stepped foot on a boat because, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to make an, they're going to make an, a mistake or, and the mistake can be costly on these boats. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't necessarily want to hire like a super uh, green person. So green is like someone who's yeah. new to the industry. New. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I'd say for a person who, who does that experience in the industry, being 20 is fine, but for someone who has no industry, it's like you have, for someone who has no experience, you have to get some somewhere. You wouldn't want someone like Hayden. Hayden, before you came on the call, Hayden was like, yo man, the ocean is what <laughs> freaks me out the most. Not afraid of many things, but that's one of them, dude. Deep sea, like I just think about it and I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, I respect the fact that you do that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. What's, what's the craziest experience you've ever had on one of these super yachts that you can Uh, tell us about? (laughs) Like scary experiences, great experiences. Like what kind? Just craziest. Like anything out of, out of the ordinary. Um, I'd say, yeah, this is pretty good. So these, these yachts (laughs) would, everyone likes to say that they do, they like to do, our job is to keep it running and to keep it clean and yachts like to break and get dirty. That's all it is. <laughs> and so, uh, and that goes, this story goes to show we were, uh, this was on the, uh, the, the work, the boat I used to work on. I can't say the name, but anyways, it's a 150 foot yacht in Vancouver run privately for a family. And this boat was actually, uh, it was launched in 2004, uh, 2007. And it was a prototype at the time. So the boat is kind of like precarious in a way. Like sometimes it'll, it'll just shut down on you or something. <laughs> the engine stop. Like there's always, always a problem, you know? And, uh, <laughs> we were, we were crossing the Strait of Georgia, which is this, the, the, like, uh, the body of water that runs between mainland BC and Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty notorious for like, heavy seas when we have a northeast wind and um we had a northeast wind (laughs) and these like the waves were really building up we had like two meter waves and yes it's a 150 foot boat and it has stabilizers and it's you know but at one point like there's just nothing you can do (laughs) and we're like bashing through these waves for like two hours and then we we start to see like we start to get into you know like um, a few miles from the from the coast on like Ryland and Nimo, and as we come into the harbor, with the winds pushing like directly, the winds was uh, when we got to the harbor, the wind was pushing us onto the land. So like basically, if if we were to just shut everything down, we would just drift onto the shore and like you know crash there. <laughs> and just as we're coming into the harbor, the engines quit, like just quit. And Fuck. the whole family's on board, right? And they don't want to have problems. Like they hire us to not have, so that we can deal with the problems so that they can just sip on their mimosas in their hot tub on their yacht. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and so when something happens, they can't know about it. It has to go seamlessly. And so the engines just stopped. <laughs> We're dead in the water. <laughs> and we have this like, you know, like 50 kilometer an hour wind pushing us onto the docks. 
we're maybe like a mile away. So we have uh, like 20 minutes or something to get it back up and running. And then we just, the whole crew, that was really cool. I was rather new on the boat at that time. <laughs> it was really it was like cool. In my first month. It was cool. Cause I saw like how, how quick you have to, you know, like find solutions. Yeah. And so the, the, the engineer right away, we all have like earbuds, like, you know, like FBI movies there. They all have like little earbuds. So they communicate. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> With the so wire. We, we, yeah, exactly. We have the wire. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 <laughs> And so I get like, we all hear on the, on our earbud, like the engineer going like engines have shut down. Uh, we're dropping anchor because the, the best thing you can do is not move anymore. Right. At that point. So then the, the whole yacht is full of glass, right. Cause they want to see outside. And so there's certain like spots that are, um, you know, like they have a, it's like a blind spot for them from inside the boat. So then in a blind spot, I'm like running and then I stop and I walk casually and then I'm running and I stop casually to try to get to the front. <laughs> like I have to, I'm in the back of the boat and I have to get to the front to anchor. So I'm like, I have to run 150 feet without them noticing. <laughs> so so I get my, I get myself to the front and then I start, uh, I start the procedures to anchor. And, um, and then I hear, I hear on the, on the, uh, on my uh, ear, like the captain saying, we're, we've got port engine back up. So now we have one of the two engines that are back up. But, you know, that's minimal control in a way. So I, I asked, like, are we still anchoring? And then he goes, and the guy was just panicking. Unfortunately, like, <laughs> I mean, you're not supposed to panic. It's the last thing you're supposed to do. And the guy was just like, this like, is the captain. Yeah. yeah the, the captain, captain was panicking. Oh, fuck. Like, I don't want to say panicking, but I mean, like, he was almost there. <laughs> like, it was not a good day for him. <laughs> oh, my. He, he kind of, like, didn't know what to respond when I asked him if I should anchor. But, you know, the first thing you should do is get, get the hook on the ground because we don't have any control. And so I started dropping the anchor. And, like, dropping the anchor is a procedure and a half. So <laughs> it takes a while. Um, and then as I'm lowering the hook, starboard engine kicks up again. The engineer, like, found the issue and he – he fixed it and then we we got we got up and running like both engines and then i look like the idiot anchoring the front <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so then i bring back up the anchors <laughs> and then we we head into dock we get all we get on the docks like the timing was pretty close we get on the docks tied up and then after that the captain like called us all to the bridge like where we control the boat from mm -hmm. and he basically gave us like a like a rundown of the situation he said we handled that very well I'm glad you were up on the bow for the anchors. <laughs> He's like <laughs> trying to convince himself that he was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, so he told me like, "Good job on the anchor. That was the right thing to do. Um, just wasn't quick enough." That's what he says. I was like, "Okay, buddy." <laughs> and and these and these people, the rich the rich people that hired you, had no idea any of this went down. No idea. They, they were just got like, off. They got off. They, they went and did whatever they did. Had no yeah. idea that you guys almost crashed in the. In no, the, no that's, idea. That's some crazy shit. What point do you like? Is it only when disaster is inevitable and not probable that you have to tell them, or like mm. when does that come into play? When <clears throat> I'd say like an engine shutdown is not like it's not um, tell them worthy. You know, like if the engines quit, it's you know we can we can anger and tell them we're just chilling here to watch the sunset. <laughs> you know, like they'll, they'll, they're gullible. <laughs> With a strong Northeast um, wind. 
Watch the yeah. sunset with a nice north northeast wind. <laughs> like in the waves, like <laughs> it's like it's um, like VR AR. You know, you need those extra movements and effects to go along. Exactly, um, but um, no, like let's say the boat is sinking or something. Then, like we're we're taking on water. Tell them, of course. If if anyone's life is at risk, tell them. If ever, if we have like fire issues, if we have um, you know, like total loss of communication. That can be one. There's, there's a few things that fall into that category, but nev- none that I've experienced yet. Example. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that's so interesting. Like it, it, was it one of those moments where once you get off the boat, it's like kiss on the land, like, thank god i didn't die did you did that ever cross your mind when that was happening like i'm ready to like crash into the shore and potentially drown with a ship well no because i'm only out like i was only a deckhand right maybe the captain felt like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know the, the the hardest part about being a captain is that you're in complete control like you have everything is on your back right like if anything breaks it's your fault if anything if anything happens it's your fault that's when he would have a kiss the shore moment <laughs> but for <laughs> yeah. me it's like my i, I signed a contract y'all ain't gonna fire me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's not my issue so i'm curious <laughs> to know like how you a 13 year old who lives at saint marc sur le lac mm. even get into like sailing at first and becomes an instructor at such a young age like how did you get into boats how did you come to like the waters and not be afraid of it like Hayden is. <laughs> hey, man, I got my white sail, too, or something oh, like yeah. that. So, yeah. Okay, I mean, okay. I, got <laughs> I can sail one of those little Picos. Yeah, I think they're like called. Optimi- yeah. Optimists. That's, that's about all I got. So, yeah, how'd you get into it, Justin? Uh, so, basically, my my dad went um, – he went on this, like – my dad was a scuba diver. And we, we did that as a family before. Just still, like, water sports, but not sailing at that point. And then he went on this like um, diving cruise thing in the Bahamas where it was like a big sailboat and there were like 24 divers on it. And it was my dad's first experience with sailing. And he like completely fell in love with the fact that we could move without having an engine on. Right. And I wasn't there. That was just his trip. And then when he came back, he like immediately went into the phone book. We didn't have internet. (laughs) And he looked up like sailing schools. This was in 2010. We got, oh, we got like, the yellow we got, pages. Yeah, yeah. We guys, we got home Wi-Fi in like 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is <it's> true. <laughs> so we uh, like he, he went into the phone book. Oh, sorry about that. He uh, he went into the phone book and he like he found like a sailing school that was really nearby, like just in Point Calumet. And um, so he went there. He took a course. He uh, he started his course on the Monday. He did a race on Wednesday, and then he bought a boat on Friday. <laughs> wow. He went, like, full send. <laughs> wow. Is that full send mentality running the family? Like, oh, yeah. that same, like, <laughs> that dedication to, like, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to get this shit done? Does that, that's something that happen, he has, man. and that that's You're cool, man. It. That's cool. Because not well, a lot he, of people have that. He has it more, like, in terms of projects. So like example for him, it was like, or passions, you know, like hobbies. When he gets a new hobby, my dad just goes like hundred percent and full into it. And then 
the way I, and then the way I like kind of learned that was to do that in my professional life rather than only in my hobbies. Um, and I think that's like a really cool thing to have learned young because it kind of takes away the, uh, the, uh, the fear of jumping like all in. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, so he gets the boat and then we start sailing leisurely on the Lake of two mountains <laughs> and, uh, for the first year, like, we're loving it. We're having a good time. And then the second year, like, I think it was, like, mid-June. The water was still pretty cold. Uh, I just finished, like, probably grade or grade eight, maybe. <laughs> and we go out, or less than that. It was probably, like, grade seven. Anyways, we go out, and we hit this, like, huge storm. Like, it was basically like a tornado on the water. The, the water, the, the lake was rather calm, then all of a sudden just – huge um like a squall right and um i i was like propelled off the boat we capsized the boat like we had like these uh these like fishermen that tried to help us but they actually like hit the boat hit our boat and it started sinking like oh, the whole nine yards okay and the lake of two mountains has uh, about like two kilometers an hour of current and so i start like i i when we capsized, I was ejected from the boat and um, here's like 11 year old Justin floating away in the river <laughs> and, Holy. and with the huge, like the rain, zero visibility and just like the worst thing you could do to an 11 year old who wants to go into sailing, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you give him the scare of his life and it was really scary and it was cold as well. Like keep in mind, this is June. So hypothermia is like a risk. And then, so like they, they, my, my dad gets the, like the coast guard is informed of this. They go to my dad's boat cause that's where they see the, you know, like the issue. And my dad says like, my son's in the river, like go get him. He went that way. And, uh, so there was like a whole search and rescue thing out to get Justin. <laughs> and thankfully like they found me. I remember like this code coast guard guy, like handing me his hand to get me on the boat and they, they bring me back to shore and like, it was a whole thing. Right. And I didn't, I didn't want to step foot on a boat again, like at all. I was, for me, it was like, Nope, it's over. That's it. Like it was a good time. No more. What brought you back to it? And then, well, that's the thing. So then, uh, the owner of the sailing school, he saw, he saw that I liked it before and that like I had potential to work for him. And so he basically told me like, uh, I was 11 by then that summer. I didn't really want to sail at all. I went to the club once in a while cause my dad had bought another boat <laughs> cause he, it didn't scare him. <laughs> and, uh, so I was at the club once in a while and he told me, Justin, if you want to, uh, if you want to learn and if you want to get better at it and get over this fear, I'm offering you to take like whatever boat you want from the sailing school. And for all of next summer, you can just sail whenever you want. You have access to all the boats. I want you to get over this fear and come teach for me the year after, basically. And so I was given like this really cool opportunity. And then that, and I, I, I took him up on that and I went out sailing with a bunch of different people that kind of like taught me to get over my fear. And then that summer of 2012, I, I sailed like all summer just for fun, like having a good time and getting less and less, uh, um, like getting over my fear. Right. And then when I turned 13, well, the summer that I was 13, I started teaching 
And uh, ever since then, I just got over the fear. And now it's like, I feel like I've been through the worst now. <laughs> but fear a- doesn't come back up inside you when you have an experience like the engine shutting down and like like the story you told us before like that that fear as an 11 year old kid stuck in a river doesn't resurface in those moments uh it not in those moments because of the security a super yacht offers <laughs> you know like we have life rafts we have everything we need yeah uh, like on my life jacket i have a uh a radio uh signal that gives my exact position if I ever I fall in like you know we have all these super expensive safety materials um but for example uh when I was delivering a sailboat in, uh, in the Bahamas in 2019 I I came across like a, a pretty good size squall and then I had a little bit of like a okay this is gonna be all right like <laughs> is a bit more uh, isolated like no land for we, we hadn't seen land in like a day and we we're like okay this is a good storm <laughs> and then i got a little bit of the scare but you know got through it and uh, i feel like i've i feel like i'm a lot more confident having been through that kind of storm cool man. Is that around like the bermuda triangle like you said towards like <laughs> Bahamas. The, the the Bermuda Triangle, I think, is from like Newport, Rhode Island, to Bermuda, the island, and all the way down to uh, Miami. Yeah. And so, yes, technically, I was in the Bermuda Triangle, yeah. but I don't, I don't believe in that one. That was a close one, then, brother. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe right in there. shit like that? Like, as a guy who's on the water a lot, like. Do those old superstitions still stack up? Do they still give you something to think about? Are you like, with the more experience you have, are you more like, that's bullshit? No, it's, it's not all that. Uh, what I'd say, like, with the more experience I get, I see why they, like, where it comes from. Like, being on the water for a long time, especially if you're doing some passages where you don't see line for a couple of days, like, you, you do go slightly crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, these things just like these people these old sailors they they came up with these things because they were slightly like in like hallucinating right <laughs> and i think insane. yeah and i think after doing like a three four day crossing and you know sleeping like when we're doing crossings it's four hours on four hours off so you have like four hours to sleep four hours you're driving four hours to sleep four hours you're driving four hours to sleep four hours you're driving you kind of like lose track of time you're like you're in the middle of the night while well awake and then you get to go to bed and when the sun rises, you know, and then you just, you kind of get into this weird mentality and this weird mindset and you're, you're focused on the task, but at the same time you're slightly going crazy. And then, you know, if you see a dolphin, you might think it's a woman that's swimming with a fishtail. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's when you kind of see like where all these superstitions come up. Mm-hmm. But you never, you never had a weird experience that you, you would, like that you would almost mistake for not mistake but consider like a a superstitious experience or a mythological experience in any way no i wouldn't i wouldn't (laughs) uh i couldn't say i have (laughs) right Right on and so if 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 i remember well i just know this because you know we've been friends for a bit but you as soon as you finished college you went to bc um to 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 get your licensing and stuff um how at what point did you make this decision or choose this sort of career path over 
going to university, you know? I mean, you do have your, your post-secondary diploma. Um, the, obviously, the education system in Quebec is, is much different than everywhere in Canada, right. where you right. go from high school, college, and then university. But what made you go high school, college, both? um well my original plan when I was in college I'd say like that my first uh my first semester in Dawson at that point I was you know I was a sailing instructor but I didn't really think of sailing as a full career and my point at that time was still to become a circus artist and I had done like the the I I was trying to get into the Canada's uh, National Circus School, and that was kind of like my goal. I wanted to be a circus artist, not a sailor by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like yes, sailing is a passion, but not as a career. And then I was you know I was in cheerleading and and uh, circus, and then at in uh, September 2018, I busted my my knee like ACL, meniscus, the whole nine yards. And then that kind of made me realize that like I couldn't really become something that relied on my body for, you know, like to, to work like an acrobat. I couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore. And then that's when my mindset went like sailing, (laughs) sailing is going to be my thing. Mm -hmm. And I finished Dawson and of that December got my operation February 1st, 2019. And then, uh, April 27th. So like three months later, I was delivering a sailboat in the Bahamas. And, and that was just like, after that one, I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, I know it's possible to make a career out of this. I know I have like what it takes. I have the experience. And then I was like, for since like when I got back, from basically when I busted my knee, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then when I got back from that first delivery, I was like, this is, I'm doing it. Right. Yeah, man. It's crazy how an injury can, can change your perspective like that. I I've actually, I feel you because I've dislocated my, <clears throat> my knee twice okay. my ACL and uh, had to go through that physio process again. Mm-hmm. For me at the time, like the sport was football, but Okay. After that injury, it was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, it it, wasn't, right. it didn't make sense to keep it going, but um, it was never something that I was interested in professionally. Like you were interested in, um, in circus, but like, that's, that's also interesting in and of itself because it's like, I like when I think circus, like I think back to like cartoons, and like, <laughs> like, you know, like the elephants and the popcorn and like that kind of shit. And the tiger jumping through the fire. Exactly. The, the fire <laughs> rings and all that type. Of, so like, what is it? What does a modern day circus look like? What, what would your role have been there? Uh, I mean, I so the, the sailing school, in Mon- no, I'm sorry, the circus school, the Canada circus school is in Montreal and it's in association with Cirque du Soleil um, headquarters. Right. And so most students that come out of that school, it's about like a 90% placement with Cirque and they just go into these like world tours. And some of the people that I met when I was doing my auditions and uh, getting into trying to get myself into circuses, like those people are, I mean, well stuck right now, but <laughs> like they were doing world tours in like Hong Kong and like in like Israel and like all over the world and Australia and, that's that would have been like my life if I would have had 
not busted my knee, I think. Um, but like a modern day circus, man, it's, it's, if, if you haven't seen a show from today, I really, really recommend it because it's, it's an experience. Like it's, it's really something else. It's, it's art, it's visual art, of course, but it's movement art. It's like these props are like, they have like budgets like crazy. So they're, they, you can, if, if today made like an avatar show, like the movie avatar, it would feel like you're in avatar because they're just amazing at what they do. And these people are flying. These people are, you know, like crazy contortionists. And it's like, it's really, it's really amazing. And just talking about it, I feel like, man, that would have been fun, but (laughs) things happen for a reason. And I'm a sailor. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're pretty closely related. You know, if one doesn't work out, you just hop onto a boat and you, you (laughs) say, But how, like you said earlier, like it takes some, like, it takes some big kahunas to get into sailing at a young age. And even like deciding to go to circus school is not the traditional path that like one may think mm-hmm. they should follow, at least like the quote unquote safest. How did you come right. to like a decision like that? Like what, how much doubt was there when you made those decisions and how much did you consider the 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 other type of traditional career paths because at least for me personally i feel like it, like as much as i would love circus sailing and whatnot uh to me it doesn't seem as like secure as as like maybe going into finance or um <laughs> or you know just your your basic programs and stuff so or at least that's what come- everyone tells you right yeah yeah exactly that's That's what i mean by quote unquote Mm -hmm. so how like in a a, a society where we're often we often look at those jobs as like you know maybe the safest ones and the ones we should follow how did you come to a decision where you go um pun intended against the current (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i when i was when i was younger i was Originally, I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. Okay, I was like, uh-huh. you know, there's major, a traditional uh, path, <laughs> major traditional path, like going to medicine or whatever. Uh, I I was like pretty good with school. I didn't, I mean, I don't like. I have a, I don't need to study like all night to get good marks. Basically, I can like, I I don't I don't I'm not a straight A student by any means, but I I had like the facility with school, so I thought like anesthesiology would be cool. And then I started researching it, and I was like. I was like, ah, not, not really. And then I thought engineer. And then I was like, nah, not really. And then I thought like a bunch of these normal or normal jobs. And after, after like looking into all of them, they all meant that I was supposedly going to have just like, you know, a house in the suburbs and like just go to work every Monday and know exactly what I'll be doing on next Monday. And then next Monday after that, and the next Monday after that one. And that really scares me. I'd say like to, to be so sedentary, does scare me and I think that's that comes that goes with age as well at at a certain point you want to be sedentary um but for me right now I've always I've always known that there's something more and there's there's uh there's a different path for me I I just always known that and of course like my parent like for my example my dad when I was going into circus he was like you're not going to be able to walk by 40. You're going to end up on the streets. You're <laughs> just not supportive. <laughs> and, but my mother, on the other hand, she was like, go for it. Like you'll be okay no matter what, you know? And 
I think that what I retain from that is as long as I'm doing what I love, as long as I'm committing to it as well, then I'll be fine. If, if, uh, you know, if I'm doing, if I'm doing something halfway, not too sure that's, it's not worth doing. But if I'm going all out and I know that there's, I know that I'm doing it for the right reasons, then I have no fear whatsoever about its uh, security. Right. And that's what it is, right? It's fear that holds people back because I think that that feeling that you're describing that, that desire to go out and experience all these new things and not really know what's coming tomorrow. I don't think that's something that's uncommon to, to young people. Like I think a lot of young people have that, that sort of like fire burning within them, but what holds them back is fear. Mm -hmm. What holds them back is like the way that society is structured and people will tell you like there's a right way to go about doing something and there's a wrong way to go about constructing your life. When at the end of the day, those life experiences are what what you're going to remember on your deathbed, not the the (laughs) time that you spent doing the quote unquote right thing. So my Mm. question to you is like, I mean, like there must have been times in your life where you felt that pressure, you felt that fear a little bit. So my question to you would be to people feeling the same thing. Like, how do you pull yourself out of that? And how do you how do you justify to yourself that you're going down the right path? I think I think the most important thing is to prepare for it. Right. Um, I didn't I didn't just throw myself into this big boat industry uh, without really taking the time to look at all the, um, the variables that went with it. Right. Um, if you, if you want to throw yourself into the art world if, as an artist, uh, you know, look into getting it, maybe an agent getting to like, you know, you have to look through all the things that you'll have to face and all the things you'll have to get ready for. And if all of those things are fine and they're, all of those things are feel like they're they're achievable to you. I think that takes away a lot of the fear. Like when I was getting into yachting, yachting meeting like the big boat industry. Yeah, I was I needed a few licenses that I was missing, and there you know like those things cost a lot as well. And I was looking into the salaries as when you want once you get in, is that like a worthwhile investment? All of those things play into account. And after having done like the you know, the, the math behind that, I felt like I was ready to just throw myself in it, go to Florida, get my licenses (laughs) and then look for a job. Right. And I think that preparing comes like once you've prepared, once you've trained for it, there, there shouldn't be any fear anymore because if you are really, if you really do want to do it, then you can. And if you've prepared for it, then there shouldn't be any issues. Yes, you'll face issues along the way, of course, but you'll have done the, the necessary um, uh, precautions or you'll have taken the necessary steps to get through those harder times. Did you know people in Vancouver or in BC or in Florida when you went to like these places? Or were you like completely on your own? completely on my own <laughs> i did not know anyone <laughs> how did you how did you navigate the fucking now how did you but how did you how did you sort of like i guess navigate through all of that and sort of you know find your way or even find like housing or make friends it must be already like being on a boat and on waters is lonely enough 
being in a city where you don't know anyone is somewhat similar. Yeah, uh, I think I think one of the, the first thing that really hit me. I, well, I've always been a very much a people person. You know this more than anyone, Gary. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm really not afraid to just sit down in front of someone and start up a conversation and, and ask for the you know make a friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only if they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the thing that I really was when I like, I guess when the, the real world hit me was when I realized, Oh wait, I'm not a student anymore. How do I make friends? Like, where do I go at, at meeting people? You know, like how do you now go from, you know, school is this place where people from your generation hang out. Like it's, it's a great place to just meet someone. It's super sheltered. It's, it's like, super sheltered. It's safe. You feel like it's like, you know, it's, if someone show, like walks up to you, it's like, you know, we have something in common. We go to the same school. It's, you know, there's something there to build from. Uh, and then I get to Vancouver, for example, and I'm like, whoa, okay. I know absolutely no one. I don't know anything about the city. I don't know anything about like nothing, <laughs> Yeah. but I had a job. Like when I got to Vancouver, I went with a job. So that was, that helps. But I mean, when you like, getting somewhere new and starting over basically like same thing for Florida as well. I didn't know anyone. I all I, all I knew was my Airbnb host, which turned out to be a great guy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, you just show up and you're like, okay, you know, put on your people face and <laughs> get working. <laughs> but those, you know, like for example, when I got to Florida, there's, there's like these meccas of, of like boat boat people in florida right like there's certain bars you have to go to to meet the right people there's the the certain marinas that you can just walk around the docks and say hi and introduce yourself and give your business card and you know like you you have to you have to put a lot it has to come from you basically to to really get get where you want to go and to meet the right people but definitely scary to just show up and not know anyone at all Uh uh-huh and i've seen like just through some of your pictures that you made a quite a quite a few friends like in this sort of phase of your life outside of Montreal yeah. and yeah. I think one of the scary things about adulting is sort of like how do you like really like it, it sounds like a weird question but I feel like making friends as an adult outside of school like you said it's a very sheltered environment and it's easy when you're in university but once you step mm-hmm. out of that how do you like build your social life I've heard of friends who are afraid of like you know they they wonder if they're ever going to find like their significant other um, in an open world where we mm-hmm. all have our own preoccupations. So how did you sort of in a world where you didn't know anyone make friends and meet people? Uh, I basically, I basically, I sat, like I, I kind of, when I got to Vancouver the first time, I, for the first week and a half, two weeks, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know how to do this. I was going to cafes and I was just sitting around and I was like, well, this ain't gonna work (laughs) and so so i i kind of thought back to what was what what made it easy in high school and college and around in universities and whatever what makes it easy to make friends and that was common ground like something in common that you have to start off with so that being going to the same school right Mm. and so i uh, there's this there's this uh, YouTube like channel that I follow called Yes Theory. You guys might know about it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So basically, Yes has these groups all over the world, like Yes Vancouver, Yes Montreal, Yes Florida, Yes everything, and every major city has a Yes group. 
And so I hopped onto Facebook, went to like Yes Theory Vancouver. There is this group of about like 400 people that was like quite inactive. Okay. I was like, <laughs> these people, clearly no one's putting gas on the fire in this group. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so, they were probably but, inspired to join after watching YouTube videos at like 3 a.m. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, fuck that, it, I'll join. Yeah. I want, <laughs> I want to say yes more often in my life. I want it to be a little more exciting. And then they just never like, come back. So how do you add fire? What'd you do? Sorry. So then, yeah, so like I show up in this group and I scroll down and I'm like, you know, this is like September, 2018. Like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and the last post was like, anyone want to go for a walk in Stanley park? And I'm like, okay, we're going to need more. Uh... <laughs> so I'm not trying to get group. jumped in Stanley park. <laughs> exactly. So I joined the group and I'm like, uh, Hey guys, I'm new to this group. I, I just moved from Montreal. I work on boats and I want to get to know this city. Like let's go on like a full day and try to get as much done in a single day and meet as, and like start with five people and end the day with like 25, you know, like just get strangers as we go and make something cool out of it. You know, that's very yes theory. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, funny so, enough, yes theory's from Montreal. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, they met here. Out. They met at, uh, at McGill. McGill. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so we, we ended up like, I ended up meeting with Henry. Uh, um, Henry was the first guy I met on yes theory. And the first thing, the first day we went to Link Canyon, and we we just hiked in Link Canyon. It was nice, and he he became like my uh, like a really good friend. And he was also one that was always there with in the group in the group meetups, right? And so he, as soon as he saw how easy it was to make a friend through this group, which like we kind of we kind of went ham. <laughs> so every single like <laughs> evening we were on the we were on the group and we we're like we're meeting at this place. Come out. We're meeting at this place. Come out. We're meeting at this place, and. Uh, this was also like, this was, well, beginning of the semester, I guess people were less busy. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and then we ended up making these awesome days where we went like to Lighthouse Park and like did photo shoots or like, um, uh, you know, like went to the beach and did some cold water dips, you know, like that's really like yes theory style stuff, <laughs> like jumping into the freezing cold water, uh, all these things. And it became that that became like my go-to how to make a friend in the real world <laughs> and i really recommend it it's not very complex you just have to go into a yes group and introduce yourself and bring them something like stand out in a way and then from there like it'll just happen on its own on a yes group you also know that these are people who are willing to like they're the, i feel like they're more willing to say yes to something yeah than like other groups and I mean, not all, like by the time I left Vancouver, uh, last January, there was 700 people in the group and we, like we almost doubled our numbers and it was, became a lot more active and I'm still in the group now. And there's like often posts like right now with, with coronavirus, like there's, you know, less meetups of course, but yeah. like in, uh, while I was in Costa Rica this winter, like every day there's like a new person posting on the group saying like, I heard about this group. It's really active. I really want to get into like some activities and stuff. And I'm just like, wow, like, wow, look, look what, look what can be done. Like, let's just all meet and, you know, get cool experiences out of life and make friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. And I feel like that's kind of similar to 
like just moving somewhere new and growing out your your network. Like when I was 18, I moved to Lake Louise and I didn't know anybody. Really? Yeah, I moved to work out there and I didn't know anyone that lived right. there. Um, but like you, I kind of had the similar experience for like, for like the first week and a half, maybe two weeks. I, I didn't, I haven't even started work yet at this point. I'm just kind of chilling in this small mm. ass town of like 300 people where everybody's <laughs> super tight knit. So I was like, I was like, fuck, like how am I, how, like these people already all know each other and have for a while. And like, I'm just sort of like this weird addition and I'm not even working yet. So like, how, where do I go? How does this happen? But it's one of those things kind of like you meet one person and then it, it kind of grows exponentially from there. Cause like now, you know, that person and that person will give you access I mean, maybe not like explicit access, but just this subconscious social access to their network. And then you can yeah. meet their network and it sort of grows and grows from there until like the, my, at the end of my time there, I knew like tons of people, like if not everyone mm-hmm. in that little three <laughs> permanent resident village. And uh, it, it's a really, it's a really cool experience. And for young people, man, I feel like, every young person should move to a place where they know less people because I think it's a good experience all around. And I think it gives you a solid basis early on for like forging those connections and, and making your way wherever you end up in life. And I think that's an important step to take early on, which is why I I tell people, I couldn't agree more, man. I tell my sister, like I would defer a year and just like do something random like it doesn't really matter what it is as much as just like no. go do something go do something that you wouldn't have done and then go to school you know i could like uh, honestly that's something i i really preach i mean i i haven't been to university i i decided to try going at life my own way but everyone that i well most most of my friends that i are that are in university they in the back of their mind they're like I might like, I, do I really want to do this? Like, I want to go out and explore the world a little bit. I want to like, cause you know, once you get through university, then it's like, you're fresh out. So you might as well get a job now. And then once you get that job, then it's like, Oh, it's pretty comfortable. Like I'm hitting 60 K and then it's like, Oh, I might get a raise next year. So I'm probably going to stay. And then like, bang, you're 40, bang, you're 50, bang, you're 60. Yeah. You you become a victim to the system and it snowballs from there. Yeah. And as you know, as like, it's a uh, everyone has this fear of getting into that i think from the people i've met and a lot of people do and when they get into that they realize it's not as bad as well like a lot of the families i know in my neighborhood which is suburbia i mean they're very happy and they have their little family and they go on their camping trips through the weekend and that they've you know grown to to like that life and that's fine like that's as long as you're you're happy with your situation then you know to each their own like i'm no one to judge but i before i get into that (laughs) if i ever do i want to have done something different right and i think taking a year off from university or at least a semester your winter semester like take it and just go just go do something like i this this winter i i had like a, a month free so i went to costa rica right and i met so many amazing people that were completely like had no plan whatsoever they just showed up there and like I either took a year off from university or whatever but they just showed up and traveling and they all said the same thing and it was that 
the experience that they've that the experiences they've been having traveling are worth so much more than sitting in a classroom, right? Like, and I think we can all learn so much, like you said, from showing up in a new town and where you're completely um, uh, dépaysé in French, like you're completely uh, like just you're brand new. You don't know anything, right? Like to, to get yourself out of trouble and to like make, like make way out of your comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. Basically just get out of your comfort zone. Um, like it's, it's so, it's so useful to growing into becoming, um, you know, like to, I don't know how to say this, but like to, to grow, right? Like to, to just, yeah. And that's where growth happens, right? Is outside of the comfort zone. I don't think exactly maybe room for marginal growth inside your comfort zone, but really at the end of the day, you're not going to get much better at anything saying inside of your comfort zone. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I, I love boxing for example. And like, it's one thing to hit, hit like pads and hit the heavy bag and get really good at that. But like, if you never bridge out of that, sort of comfort it like okay i'm good at this and start sparring with people like you don't really know what you're doing yet like you, you like mm-hmm. you just stay there you're always going to be like okay but you're never really going to have that experience and i think that that can be applied to so many different things like there's just so many different ways you can grow but you got to really push yourself and like strive to live on that bridge and thrive on that bridge of like what's comfortable and not comfortable and find Mm-hmm. things that can make you feel secure in uncomfortable times but still like push you forward and further along your path as a as an individual right right exactly it's maybe a loaded question justin but oh and you're obviously still young you're 20 and i'm 20 hayden's 21 i think um or 22 but are you happy 37. man you're 37 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have a baby mama and stuff a child at home. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't told you about any of that. Soon. <laughs> so Justin, man, like, are you happy doing what you do? Even though it's not like circus, the the, the main thing you, you you set out to follow. Um, you're in a place where, like you said, you could get fired on the spot um, for the smallest reason. But despite all that, are you happy? I as 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 life goes i i feel like i'm in this happy spot and i'm like couldn't get any better and then three months down the road i'm even happier (laughs) it just kind of grows like yeah for example when i was in dawson i was like you know when i was in high school i think this has to do with like just the human experience how we experience things but when i was in high school i researched colleges based on what their cheer teams did and i was like dawson has a good cheer team i want to go to dawson so then I got into Dawson and I was like, yes, I got into Dawson. I felt happy. And then that happiness was like, you know, it stabilizes because I, this is my new reality. And then I was like, okay, hey, I want to get in the cheer team now. I got in the cheer team, like happy. And then the happiness stabilizes. And then the next thing was like, do my circus audition. I did my circus audition. I was super happy. And then I didn't get it. But that's okay. Cause I was still in Dawson and I was having a lot of fun with the cheer team. And then, you know, like each step of happiness was like, there and it was it was uh leading me to whatever else i was going to do in the future and then when i popped my knee that was like a major dip but then i was like wait i can do this like this this didn't happen for nothing like i'm i'm gonna turn myself around and i'm gonna do what i 
really want to do. And that's get into sailing professionally. And then I get through my surgery, whatever I get on this boat and I'm like, yes, I, I got like a, my first contract. I'm going to go deliver a boat from Florida, from Nassau, Bahamas to West Palm beach in Florida. I deliver that. And I'm like ecstatic. <laughs> this is like a point of like, like amazing happiness. And then I come back to Montreal and I, <clears throat> I spend like a month here before going back to Florida to get my licenses that I needed and to start making connections in the, in the business and whatever. And then I, I'm just like, I'm living on this like cloud. I come back, I'm like flying in from Florida directly to graduation. And then I sell my friends and everything. And I'm, I'm surrounded by these people that are all going to university and I'm doing my own thing. I'm like ecstatic about that. <laughs> I'm telling everyone like, do what you want to do, like live your life. <laughs> 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 and I like, I meet like amazing people and, and then, I spend my summer here. I, I, between like getting my licenses and getting the job in Vancouver was like a month and a half. And during that month, I also got another delivery gig. I delivered a boat from Lake Champlain over to um, downtown Montreal. And I was just like, that was just, you know, another step to the happiness. And then I get my job in Vancouver. I get to Vancouver. I'm like I'm living on this, like there's on this cloud. I'm making friends. And, and then that contract ends last uh january i go to florida i get my license like every, along my along the way because i'm doing what i want to do i just feel like i couldn't be happier to be doing it and i feel so proud of myself to have you know like deviated from the traditional path and to have done what i wanted to do because every day is a reminder that I'm in the right place because it's when I wake up, I, I look around me and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm here and there's, I'm here because I work for it. Right. So to answer your question, I am very happy. <laughs> I think, I think that, um, when you do, when you're, when you're doing what you want to do for the right reasons, that's when happiness is kind of, it's just there. <laughs> And you're That's in the right beautiful, space, man. That's beautiful. Would you, would you uh, say that staying physically active is is a contributor towards your happiness? Well, definitely uh, in the way that you know, like um, workout, working out. Uh, you know, like I'm not yeah. a, I'm not too like brain science, but I mean, it secretes the right hormones, right, for happiness. It releases endorphins, <laughs> makes endorphins. You, it's all good man it's all good but the reason that i ask man is because like i'm looking i was looking through your your facebook page and like yeah. you like you've done some crazy shit like fitness wise <laughs> like even your profile picture i was looking at it and you're like hitting the one hand like the one-handed handstand and i was yeah, like, oh, yeah. that shit is hard like in wrestling as a warm up, we do headstands, which is just like the right. head and, but not like, I can't even do it without the hands to support. And I can even only hold that for like, I don't know, like maybe like 10, 15 seconds max. <laughs> and uh, like, where does that sort of, I, my question is like, that, that is that like a regular part of your life? And is that something that you, you, sort of like wake up to do every morning or is that sort of just like a consequence of trying something new? Um, I'd say like the handstands is probably one of the things that have 
stuck with me the longest <laughs> in a way like you know cheerleading was a few a few years like uh circus was a few years but handstands well i guess handstand falls into circus but handstands have always been there and i've always um maintained it as a uh as like a as if it was part of my personality in a way like like Justin's just that guy that does the backflips and handstands. <laughs> like that, that's him. He gets out of bed and like hand instead of like feet first to the ground, it's hand first to the ground and just walks to the bathroom on a handstand. But yeah, I mean, I just, I just, for for me, handstands has always been like a when I'm when I'm when I'm standing on my hands, it's just like there's nothing else in the world. I'm just standing on my hands and I'm focusing on my balance. And I find to have something that gives you that almost like a meditation, right? It, yeah. To have something that helps you focus on one thing and trying to kind of um, eliminates all other aspects for a brief moment of time, I think that really helps in grounding someone and in, in help in taking decisions and in taking all these things. Like before a test in, in, in Dawson that was, you know, like a big exam or something, I would either go run barefoot in the grass, climb a tree, or do a handstand. It was like either one of the three. <laughs> but whatever, because that helps me, right? And yeah like handstands uh, they've just always been around and now they're even more challenging on boats because the boat moves so it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> actually been a difficulty. <laughs> dude how, how long can you hold a handstand for do you have uh, do you have a record uh i mean hands if you if i don't do a handstand for like a week i have to take like two weeks to get back to where i was it's they're the best example of practice makes perfect because if you stop like you're you're going to have to take like a full two weeks to get back to where you were. And so in, in my peak of handstands, let's say like when I took that one hand picture, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would, I like at that point, it's just when you have the technique, you can stay as long as you want. Like it's yes. I mean, there's a limit, but let's say like about around a minute, you start to get wobbly, but it's a proper handstand is like standing on your feet. If when you're standing on your feet, you're, you know, you're not squatting, you're stacked up on your bones. Like your bone structure is stacked in a way that you can just stand and mm -hmm. not be flexing anything. And so when you're on your hands, if you're correctly locked into position, your elbows are locked, your shoulders are pushed towards the, pushing towards the ground, your stomach is in, your glutes are tight, your point, your toes are pointed. Like when all of, when everything is perfectly aligned, everything, uh, stands on its own right and i think there's a correlation between that and like how i like to see my life my own life when everything is aligned and when i'm when i've done what i needed to do to to stand alone if you will like when everything is perfectly in line that's when it's easy and so if you can properly do a handstand uh in the right position that enables you to do it for a minute at a time or whatever then all you have to do is breathe and get through it you know yeah man it's crazy how physical physical exercise can become sort of like this this spiritual experience if you if you find the one that connects with you yeah and the one exactly. that you really want to start doing mm -hmm. um i i mean like everybody has their thing but it is sort of that that feeling of like finding clairvoyance within an activity yeah 
uh, like for me, that would be like boxing Muay Thai. Like I love that shit. And like when I'm doing mm-hmm. it, it's like nothing else is even nothing yeah. matters. Like you walk into I'm the gym done, and you're just you're there. And that exactly. Is, like yeah. if I if I came in angry, I had a problem before. I'll leave the gym and like I'll be like, ah, it'll work itself out. Like everything's gonna be fine. Exactly. You no, know? like I leave with a completely different mentality than I went than I went in. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that that's that's like beautiful that people can have those kinds of experiences through activity. I, I think it would be a good way to flow into like um, yeah. cheerleading and whatnot. Um, okay. I know cheerleaders have very uh, specific opinions about cheerleading. I, I know you obviously, and I know a couple people from Dawson's cheer squad and I know um, there are some strong opinions about the views of cheerleading and like pop culture and stuff. Before we flow into that, uh, Hayden and I have this little segment where um, we pull up random facts about a specific topic, and we just want to get your reaction as we read through them. We might have a little question pop up um, at some point in sort of relation to the facts and you, but we'll go through these random facts that we found, and honestly, quite lazily, because we just looked up like sailing facts and we want to have these facts on the site called kickassfacts.com <laughs> but so we'll read through them if you have any reaction feel free to go ahead interrupt me have something to say if it relates to some of your experiences then feel free to do so but if not we'll awesome. just keep running down through the facts and then you could um you could fill in if we have any questions for you i love it so I am going to read this word for word how I found it. So these are not original writing. Shout out to Kick-Ass Facts for it. So here it goes. In 1812, context, there was a war between um, (laughs) the U.S. and um, the British colony of Canada or the British Empire. Um, So in 1812, an American ship rescued a British crew stranded on an island. While the Americans went out to search for food for the extra crew, the British took over the ship and left the Americans stranded on the island. Snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assholes. There's a Royal Navy superstition that whistling mm. on a ship can summon strong winds. Traditionally, yep. the only person allowed to whistle is the ship's someone cook. Someone who's win- the ship's cook or someone who's been, who has sailed Cape Horn, which is the, the, um, the most volatile place to sail in the world sailed where cape horn so cape horn is uh the bottom of south america where uh like the bottom of uh, cape horn that's where that's the the southernmost point of the america the american continent if you will yeah and that's where two oceans meet you have the pacific and the atlantic that are meeting there and at that spot in the world the waves are able to go literally around the world without touching any land because you're going, you're, you're going beneath uh, Australia, beneath Africa, you're way lower than that, around Antarctica in a circle. And so you have waves that have been, you know, like moving for possibly years without being touched by anything. Uh-huh. And then you have these winds that are conjecting into these, so the, it's a very, very, difficult um uh place to sail and so that it's said that beside besides the the, sh- the ship's cook if you have sailed 
Cape Horn, you have earned the respect of the wind <laughs> and that you're allowed to whistle on a boat. Jeez, that's, that's crazy. Sick. It's a status thing. Yeah, it's, it's a status thing, 100%. <laughs> so once you get it's to that just, point, that's, that's when you know you're at elite level. Like you have yeah, your, yeah. your, your hand-learned stuff. You're a real stuff. one. <laughs> if like if you're if i can be if i can just walk onto a new job and start whistling and then they're like dude what are you doing i'm like i sell cape horn you know <laughs> <laughs> and so the question we have with that is sort of what on we we brought it up a bit earlier but what unwritten rules of the sea or in captaining that you've learned over your time on on boats you there's a few actually you um there's you should never mention the animal that is the the rabbit. You should never mention when you're on a boat. You should never mention rabbit. Why? Um, Why not? Because in like in the old days of sailing, when they crossed to the Americas, uh, there was a ship that had brought bunnies on board, and the bunnies ate everything. Like they basically just <laughs> ate everything. <laughs> so then the crew was left with no more food. And so if you 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 should never have at least never have but never even mention bunny like when i was told about this one it was actually my chief officer who said like uh he was we were talking about this stuff and he said you should you we were on the boat though so he said you should never mention that the the animal with the big ears that eats carrots <laughs> and i was like <laughs> you're talking about a like a, and you like like put his mouth his, his, <laughs> He put his hand on my mouth. He's like, don't say that. <laughs> it was super strict. I was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> All right. There's also, there's, also, uh, there's also something about bananas as well. Like you shouldn't have bananas on a boat because it, uh, you know, it ripens fruit, right? Like if you put like uh, an avocado next to bananas, it'll ripen overnight. Yeah. And so if you have bananas, then it will ripen all the fruit and all your fruit will go bad. Okay. <laughs> there's a bunch of little stupidities <laughs> like that, but... <laughs> All right. So we'll continue down the list. One yeah, of the yeah. mightiest pirates that have ever lived was a Chinese female prostitute named Ching Shi. She controlled 1,800 ships and 80,000 sailors. Not surprised. <laughs> Not surprised. She has some power. She had quite some power. Uh, Over a period of 200 years, three ships perished at the same location of the coast of Wales on the same day, December 5th. And all three had only one survivor. The three survivors all had the same name, Hugh Williams. That that Chinese female prostitute thing is pretty legit. Like she caused some pretty big like problems to like the big like the big four or five like European Whoa. powers. Really? So she she was an issue for people. I, maybe history's I to... first bad bitch. <laughs> Yo, she's sick. She's sick. So our question to that was. Well, you sort of answered it um, earlier, but is there another like weird or very surprising thing that you witnessed on water or like a weird person you encountered while being on these ships, whether it's a, a lunatic captain or like a crazy yacht owner, or, like a crazy party <laughs> that went on? What was something that was pretty crazy that you've seen during your experience? Um... I'd say like on the big boats, I haven't had any um, crazy, crazy things happen yet. <laughs> I mean, these things do happen, but like yeah. I haven't had any of those experiences. I think that goes because I'm on a private boat right now. Like the boats that charter, the boats that rent out to other clients, 
that's when the crazy shit happens because then it's like, you know, people are renting these boats for like $2 million a week and they just want to let loose and like, you know, yeah. do whatever comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in BC, I, I had like during one of my uh, weeks off, I, I went on a sailing trip with this girl, with this girl from BC that she, she had bought a boat, but had never stepped foot on one. And her idea was just to live on the boat. Mm-hmm. And so I, I offered to kind of give her like a full course, like a full sailing lesson for a full week. And we were going to go sail into like the Gulf islands in BC. And, um, and this girl had, uh, she had non-lucid panic attacks. Oh. And so she was like, <laughs> I think she kind of falls into this category in a way. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the experience did. So yeah. she, once in a while, she would have these panic attacks where she would go non-lucid, just pass out. and here i am like sailing in bc with like with which is a pretty tough place to sail in terms of current tide uh you know all this stuff water and she she's just passing out left and right (laughs) jesus (laughs) that was was an experience that was really an experience she a few times i had to like she and when she passed out when she woke up she didn't know where she was she didn't remember anything she didn't know who i was she didn't know she was on a boat and then I had oh, to like bring man. her back to reality and say like, my name is Justin. We're sailing on this trip together. You live on this boat. Fuck? Like, uh, dude, that was crazy. Honestly, probably the, probably the scariest thing I've like encountered. That, that sounds like the, the, the like protagonist start to a video game or something. Like you wake up, you have no recollection of your past yeah. life. Some guys in front of you like, hey, we're on this boat. We're sailing. We're, we're going here. Like. Damn, like, that must be crazy. How would she react when you told her that? Uh, she, she, it was it, she like by the it was it's kind of weird because like she when the first few panic attacks during that week she had about one a day more or less. But the first few the first few days was like she she, she was like scared. She was like trembling. Like like we're moving and then she got like seasick at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Talk about a double whammy. Oh yeah. <laughs> <The> triple man. <laughs> and so she, she was, she would wake up and then she, I think like her, it was almost like a PTSD style, like non-lucid panic attack from a troubled past or something. Cause when she woke up, she was completely terrified as if she was being chased or something. And so I had to kind of just like, kind of slowly like explain keep my distance but at the same time keep her safe because like i don't want her falling off you know like that wouldn't be good and so i would like sit her inside the cockpit and kind of just like and like keep the boat running at the same time because i am sailing (laughs) so that was a whole uh that was a whole experience i could talk long i could talk about a a bunch of stories that happened with her (laughs) (laughs) wow that's crazy so Justin, being a cheerleader, you're also a cheerleader, not just like a cheerleader for fun at like um, schools and high school and college or whatnot. You told me that you even went to uh, the cheerleading championship in Worlds that it that takes place in Disneyland, Disneyland or yeah. Orlando every year. Orlando. Yeah. Well, so, Disneyland at, at Disney World. Disney World. What? is your reaction when you see cheerleading in shows or movies or at least, you know, where they're most obviously bring it on is like a whole other thing, but like in, in like your, your, your basic like football varsity games and there are cheerleaders on the yeah. sidelines going, 
go team and stuff. So what, what, <laughs> what is your reaction when you see cheerleading in that form in shows and, and movies? I think it's, I think like uh, basically the producer or writer or whatever clearly doesn't know what the sport is. <laughs> I'd say, or they're just going into like the stereotypes, right? Like mm-hmm. for a long time, that's what cheerleading was, you know, like in, like in high schools in America in like the seventies and stuff, the girls would just kind of be like cheering on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, yes, that it's what it was at one point, but you know, like it's evolved (laughs) and we shouldn't be stuck in the past where all it is is like dancing around and shaking pom-poms you know like it's 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 really evolved like crazy and as a boxer Hayden like you would I'm sure you would absolutely love the sport because it's your imagine like your your big punching bag that you hit like you have to throw that thing 20 feet up in the air like how (laughs) awesome is that you know yeah i'm not comparing any of my flyers to punching bags but (laughs) that'd be pretty crazy man it's impressive it's impressive it's it's honestly the from all the sports i've done it has to be the hardest sport i've ever done well it looks fucking crazy like when i see like when i see the the type of movements like in the athleticism that those those those, uh the cheerleaders possess and Mm -hmm. even just the the synchronization with everyone else like when you're throwing someone up and catching them like you have to be on beat and like that shit just looks wild yeah the Mm -hmm. flyers going up like a couple dozen feet in the air and sort of having to trust like five or six people beneath you who are like around your age catch you and you just have to have complete faith no preparation for like a a huge fall on the ground that is crazy it's 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 a sport that um that combines like mental strength with physical strength with emotional strength with like it it just teamwork as well all of this teamwork like no other sport and all of this has to be done in front of a cloud, in front of a crowd with a big smile on your face and you have to look like it's easy, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you've already referred to it as a sport. Um, oh, yeah. But I'll ask the question. I'll ask the question. <laughs> is cheerleading a sport? <laughs> in every way of the sport, it is a sport. <laughs> uh-huh. I, think, I think the one thing that may, like, throw people off about it and it's kind of in the debate in terms of like the Olympics, because in 2024, the uh, cheerleading is supposed to go to the Olympics. Oh. And um, I think the one like factor that has it confused with a sport and not a sport is that you're also judged on your appearance, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a portion of, of the, 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 um, the scoring sheets are like how well you smiled, how good your team looked. And that's, uncommon for sports you know in boxing if you're missing a tooth you don't lose points and so i think that's where there's still like a gray zone of is it a sport or is it like a show and tell or a show and like just show off your your whatever you're doing like i think if cheerleading can go from if the grading system in cheerleading the scoring system can go from like completely uh um uh, like neutral in terms of what's being judged, you know, like we're not judging the team. We're judging the team's ability. That's where, that's where there will no longer be any confusion because it's in every way a sport and 
a lot more than some sports as well, you know? Mm. Yeah, man. Well, I agree with you because I watch, like, I, I won't lie. Like it's one of those, it's not something that I've had great exposure to. And before mm-hmm. Gary, not many people have either. Yeah. It, before Gary told me that it was something that you were into, I, just thought of it as like the cheerleading on the sideline thing with the pom-poms, like the stereotypical shit. Yeah. But for this interview, I watched videos of like, like competitive cheerleading. And I was like, Jesus, these people are fucking athletes. These people get shit done. You have to be, you have to really commit yourself to the craft. And I think that's what being that, that that's what it's all about. Right. It's just like in any sport, Mm -hmm. just committing to the craft and you can't knock that commitment. And and mm. the dedication to to your body as well. Oh yeah. yeah. I have a couple of friends who were in Justin's team. And I don't know, like I, I had a couple of friends who had like some pretty serious falls. I don't know if you know Cecil. Um yep. but she felt like my she fell a couple of times on the ground. And mm. I think that's what pushed her out of the sport. Yeah. But um if you see like a perfect, I don't know if this is true, you can correct me if 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 I'm wrong. But if you see like this perfect, like this flyer doing a perfect like move or like the the, the, the the other cheerleaders catching her perfectly, sometimes that probably means that in practice, behind the scenes, there are a couple falls, a couple heart injuries, yeah. some fucked up shit going on behind um, the, the, the smiles and the appearances that happen. Mm-hmm. And that notion drives uh, or just makes me makes me like just go crazy i wouldn't want to fucking fall 20 feet to the ground and smash my back on the ground and shatter no yeah no for sure (laughs) so is that like how like how often how common are like injuries in practice like that i mean uh like a team that with that's coached properly and that's um uh given the right amount of difficulty like it's not supposed to happen like you you don't start off in cheerleading and make the girls throw these amazing things like (laughs) you have to start with like just being lifted like a foot off the ground get used to being off the ground and then you know like you progress in the right order um but the problem with cheerleading often is that it's a it's a sport that's not very um it's a sport that has less like uh kind of structure in a way like you can uh, you as a guy most most usually like usually as a guy you can just knock on the door of like a cheer gym like civil team not school team and just say like i'm a guy i'm strong i have these squads can i just push some girls up in the air and they'll put you on the world's team right away and you're fucking like you're an elite cheerleader just like that <laughs> and that's the problem because there's like then you like, you know, let's, we'll take you for example, Hayden. Like if you were to do that, you don't know how to catch the girls properly. You don't know how to throw them properly. You don't know how to like, you know, you, you're, you haven't learned the technique yet, but these teams are putting like these guys just in teams because they need the power and stuff. But like, that's the, that's kind of a problem with cheerleading. And for school teams, it goes the same way because a lot of the times the teams are people that have rarely done cheerleading in their lives or very low levels. And then they have to, jump to like a level four cheer which is a lot harder and a lot like more complex with the stunts and they haven't learned the proper um techniques right like for Cecile for example she you know she might have not had the experience or 
the people under her as well did not have the experience or the knowledge to make sure she wouldn't get hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem that happens a lot in cheerleading. It's, there's more concussions in cheerleading than there is in football, right? So, Is that number yeah. true? And are there more, like, I feel like football has a shit ton of concussions now. I mean, I, I don't know the real, uh, yeah. I don't know this, like, the source of that, but uh, from what I've seen, there's a lot of concussions. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of fucking concussions like, in cheerleading. Like, I mean, a lot and, like, multiple. Probably more than, like, probably more than, like, sports like basketball or, or, or soccer. Sure. But, I mean, it'd be worth looking up. Well, it's, a, it's a rigorous, rigorous sport. And what you're describing is actually pretty similar to the way that boxing functions a lot of the time in terms of regulation. Because you could go to you could go to one gym, and mm-hmm. they will let you spar the day you walk in if you want. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and you'll and you'll get knocked the fuck out. Like a lot of the right. a lot of those gyms also don't care about proper sparring. Like they won't care about like you're not supposed to go a hundred percent on your sparring partner because you like that's the guy that you want to spar with next week too right so like it's mm-hmm. not in your best interest to knock him out but a lot of those gyms that will allow you to do that just allow you to go all out and yeah. there's but there's like better gyms that are that won't let you spar for months before mm-hmm. like you got to learn how to duck punches you got to learn how to bob and weave you got to learn your jab and your cross and your combos and use them effectively on a bag right. before you ever start throwing punches at another person. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like, I, I'm sympathetic to like what you're describing with that, that lack of regulation and just yeah. maybe that, like that desire for the, for the, in your case, the team and in boxing's case, the gym to have like a, uh, someone who's very athletic come in and maybe they show a lot of promise, but they don't necessarily get the training they should get before they, they go right. into doing something like that. Right. Yeah. What are, um, what are worlds like? Like, I, I'm very curious. Like, <laughs> I know it's like, <laughs> you say that with a, with a, <laughs> with an interesting laugh, Justin, but what are worlds like? I know they're international competitions, but I don't know yeah. how prominent cheerleading is in other countries. So how many like other countries show up? How competitive is it there? What's the environment like? And just having it take place in Disney World, it's like that seems yeah. like an amplifier in itself. So 100%. It, how, uh, how are worlds like? Worlds in two, I was there in 2018. Yeah. And I'll give you the stats from 2018. We, uh, in 2018 was... 14,000 athletes from mm-hmm. 32 different countries. Jesus. Uh-huh. Uh, all bunched up in Disneyland <laughs> in, in these hotels that are like, you know, like the magical hotels there. Like the, there's like the, the, the football stadium hotel. There's like the best, the basketballs, the ba- like um, themed. baseball. Yeah. They're like themed and stuff. And the notorious football field is where all like the, the team's practice and you're, you know, you're just like in this surreal environment where it's April and it's in Florida. So right off the bat, all the ones that come from the North are like, woohoo, we're in the sun, you know? (laughs) And then you're going on a vacation. Yeah. You're going on a vacation essentially with like 32 of your friends from your team in hotels with 14,000 athletes that 
everyone's looking good. Everyone's, everyone's like, young and attractive. Everyone's yeah, yeah, young yeah. and attractive. You're in a like, I don't know. It's just world. You can do worlds differently. Some people do it <laughs> in their own ways, and but you also have to focus on you know the fact that you're there to compete at a worldwide championship. Yeah, there's also <laughs> that on the side. You know, you gotta, also you gotta that, remind. You gotta remember that. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, worlds is magical. Really, it's it's really amazing. You you meet a lot of people and you. Like you stunt with different people, but the beauty of worlds is that you're pretty much certain that like, you know, like, uh, 85% of the people know what they're doing. So you can, you can show up at the football field and just start stunting with people from all over the world. Like don't even speak the same language, but they trust the fact that you're going to do it right. And then you, you're throwing the people up and you're like, you're holding a girl like alone on just your hands. Yeah. No one else is like base. Just you, you're the only base. You throw her up. You cool like that like one arm throw her down for like you know it's it's really cool and it's to to be around athletes that everyone can do that is like kind of special you know it's like if you showed up at the boxing convention with like you could spar <laughs> boxing fourteen thousand people you know like yeah you know? Yeah, yeah it sounds like, like um it sounds like the olympics kind of it's basically the olympics of cheerleading and it's yeah. really cool <laughs> like even what happens behind the scenes i know olympics like there's a the lot Olympics of are a on. fuck fest, man. Yo. Yeah, if you want to go into that um, <laughs> conversation, I mean, you know, world. Obviously, there are more uh, women in cheer than there are men, yeah. and but not for every team. For example, like there are some teams from New Zealand. They had 24 like football players and seven girls on the team, and the like the only ones in the air were the girls. The only ones on the ground were the guys, and so they were like beasts and they were like you know they were like the, the team to beat basically but generally speaking the ratio is like you know like eight girls for two guys and half yeah. the guys are playing on the other team so it's, yeah, it's like, yeah 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 so <laughs> it works out for you <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's still more surprising like i think just you know there's definitely it seems like there's more guys than like one would expect or at least like oh, yeah, personally sure, me there sure. It's definitely a, a more common thing for a dude than like most people would think. For for sure, and I think if if guys didn't have this stupid like misconception that cheerleading is for guys that are gay and that guys that are like that's what I was gonna and, ask you about. Of course, like my my whole cheerleading career is like, are you gay? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> no, I'm not, but I do cheer. Yes, <laughs> you know. How often do you run into that stereotype? Because no, like God, I can see day, myself, man. I can see myself as like, like a grade eleven football player. Of course, totally buying into that stereotype. Of course, like I mean, the the I do believe that stereotypes come from a certain truth. You know, like they they originate somewhere, and it's true that there are you know a, a number of gay guys in cheerleading, but that's just because it's a place where they feel safe and they can have a good sport that they feel loved in, you know, like shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but let's say at Dawson, like when we were trying to recruit for the new teams and the only, the only way I could get through the stereotype when I was approaching guys and asking them if they'd be interested in going into a cheer team was like, either I can teach you how to do a backflip. That was definitely like a good, selling point way into like <laughs> yeah. breaking the stereotype or uh -huh. like do you want to be on a team with like 
20 girls, 20 but then girl, I, don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that either because my goal, like, I don't want these guys to get in for the wrong reason. Like mm-hmm. we're not here to have a fuck fest. We're here to win, you know, like yeah. and, uh, get in shape and whatnot. But like, and that, that's, that's something that really bothered me with recruiting guys because the guys that, the guys that would consider it, we're not considering it for the right reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. And sure. you want to have like, you, you don't want to have a team with tensions because everyone's sleeping together. Like, you're throwing each other up. <laughs> like you don't yeah. need to be like throwing each other up. And while the girl's in the air, you're like having a discussion with the girl. You, you know, like it's, yeah. it's not what you need. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, at what point did you get to this? Maybe one of our last questions, cause we are approaching <laughs> two hours, but at what point did you get past sort of like that stereotype? Was that ever there for you personally or something you had to come to terms with? Or was there a point where like you, uh, you sort of like, I'm okay with this. Like, I'm fine talking about cheerleading. I'm fine telling people that this is a sport that I practice. Was there a point like that for you? It's a really good good question. Um, Like, so my desire to be on the cheer team was stems back to high school when I was in grade, uh, in grade 10, there was a cheer team at my high school and they did mostly like football stuff. And, but they did do one competition at the end of the year. And I fought to be on the cheer team. Like I was, it was only girls. And mm-hmm. I said, like, I have, I, I am a gymnast. Like I already have all these like acrobatic, um, abilities. Uh, like tech abilities that can win you guys competitions. Literally. Like, can I please join the team? And they're like, no, we can't have guys. We don't want guys on the team. This is an all girl team. Like it's, there's no guys on the team and they won't ever be. And I was like, why you know (laughs) and so i ended up doing rock climbing instead and uh and then when i when i got into applying for c jabs uh then i was like okay well let me pick one that has a good cheer team and so for me it's all i've never been afraid to say i was on the cheer team i've always been proud to say i was on the cheer team and like when i showed up when i got to dawson and i like i made it into dawson whatever i i showed up for cheer tryouts like i remember there was like there was the day those cheer tryouts. I wore my best outfit, and I was like, "I'm gonna make it in the team." <laughs> and then, like, there was this other. There was one other guy there my first year, Victor, who was also a circus artist, and who was also like, you know, very very comfortable with being on a cheer team. And uh, and then me and Victor like just hit it right off, and we were like became like instant friends. And then we started doing backflips during the warm up just for fun cuz like we uh, I, could, I now have fun. a backflip friend like when do you have a backflip friend in life <laughs> and so we were doing backflips and as the coach as the, the coach of the cheer team walked in we both did like a simultaneous like perfect uh like you know synchronicity like perfect backflip and then right off, right there she was like you two made the team <laughs> wow like, that's like a movie <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> but then again, like for guys, it's always easier to get into a team because there's less guys, right? Like, and if you have any kind of gymnastic ability, like you're in the team because they need mm-hmm. that. So are there still a lot of, are there still like high level teams that will reject guys because they want to have a completely female team? Uh, yeah, of course. Like there's, there's different categories in cheer. Like there's all girl teams and there's, there's mixed teams. And okay. we're, there's now, there might be even all guy teams, which is really interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, like there's, I mean, the high school team, like maybe they wanted to keep it an all girl for whatever reason. I, I was kind of insulted that they didn't want me on the team because it was like, you just think I'm going to go into like 
try to make out with these girls. Like that's, you know, that's what I thought they were talking about. Maybe it was that it was just an all girl team, but. Well, I know a lot, a lot of high of, school sports and teams are very like stringent on those things. Like on our basketball yeah, team, there yeah. was a girl who honestly, she, I think she had the skills to like play with us and she was pretty, 100%. she was pretty good. And I would have liked to see her on a team or have her give like, have the school give her a shot she she yeah. had a couple practices with us but mm-hmm. they never allowed uh, the girl to to make the team which i found was unfortunate but of course um, yeah i just know sometimes high school is like they're so stuck on like their traditions and how they do things or how they yeah. know things yeah I, I i think that for for like non-contact sports it can mixed teams can work for sure but we it, when I was in high school, we had these, uh, we had the opposite happen. Instead of not being allowed, these two girls were allowed, were, were originally told they were not allowed, but basically put up a fight and, and uh, their parents got involved and they were allowed to join the football team. And man, it was not, it was not good. Like for them, it was not a fun right. experience yeah. because just the size difference and like there were these two like neither of them were particular both of them were athletic girls but neither of them were like big enough or carried enough weight to really like yeah to to run into another man like full charge and and take him down so i remember one of them quit after one practice and the Mm. other one stuck it out and actually made it into a game and she, the coach put her out there for a play because we had our, she was, she was, uh, our, our, um, running back or our running back got injured and he put in, okay. her in as running back cause she was fast, mm-hmm. but she got like, she got like annihilated the, yeah. one of the plays that she was out there and yeah. she got injured and never played football again. Right. And it was like, it was not, it was not something that was like, like part of me wants to be like, yeah, like, like definitely mixed teams for everything should be allowed. But for those physical sports and like seeing that play and seeing her get like tossed across the field mm-hmm. by like a by like a two hundred and fifty pound, yeah. dude, it was not like a a sight that I want to see again. It was scary, man. It was scary. Yeah. Sure. Ice says a lot about like her toughness. Like, I mean, just football in general. I wouldn't want my kid playing football. But I mean, uh, respect to her. That's that's some. You gotta have some big kahunas and some some toughness to <laughs> yeah, like for sure. stick it around through those practices and into a game. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, she definitely had the mental mental toughness uh, yeah, to to sure. make it out. But yeah, uh, it was it's just rough. a scary sight. You know, it was like watching it happen. You were like, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. It, just wasn't fair. It's like watching like a heavyweight box, like a, a flyweight. Like it's just not, they're not in the same league, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's where like, there's a difference between like, you know, it, it's fun. Obviously we want to have like inclusiveness and not like take down the, the, the stereotypes of like, you know, like girls can't play with the guys or whatever, but sometimes like for football example, I mean, it's just in terms of safety, like it's probably best to, in mm-hmm. high school especially to not like you know keep it separated but yeah yeah but at the same it's one of those weird uh conundrums right because at mm-hmm. the same time yeah. it was like if they, if it's their decision then i say like 
let him play if they want yeah, to play. Of course, but of course. just they got to be prepared for. for and you, you put yourself in the head like of like the pubescent guy on the other team who's just like, get her off the field. You know, exactly. they're just gonna they're gonna give exactly. her the hardest time of her life. And that's unfair, but that's the pubescent mindset of the kid on the other team, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it, and they wouldn't handle it properly. Like, maybe at an older age, they might have been more mature and then, right, like, okay, of course. like, understood yeah. the situation. But that really is a mentality, especially on football teams. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a mentality of, like, kill, kill, kill. It's an aggressive right, right. sport, and mm-hmm. if you're not in an aggressive mindset, you're not going to play yeah. it well. Mm-hmm. That's just a reality, and it's kind of unfortunate, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the way it goes sometimes at those lower levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's an interesting way to 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 send off. Um, we went through so many topics, and I think uh, <laughs> well, for one, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, um, man, I think I'm, it's I'm great. honored to be here. <laughs> I have one last question before um, we cap this off. Uh, but before that, would you want to like tell people like sort of like what you up to, maybe you can link some stuff. We know you have a page dedicated to what you do. Um, life. (laughs) (laughs) So you could go ahead, man. Like where can people find you and what, how, where can people see what you're up to? I'd say like the, I mean, Justin's life. It's, I keep it updated when I'm on strictly when I'm on the big boats, it's only for, uh, for when I'm away on big boats. But for example, this summer, I think my Instagram is the best way to stay updated or keep or get into touch with me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like this summer, I'm not planning on leaving before August, I'd say in terms of COVID-19 restrictions. Um, so I'll just, I'll just be uh, sailing here in, uh, in Lake of Two Mountains. And I might even like start a vlog or something. I'll see what it, <laughs> I'll see, uh, I'll see how it plays cool. out. Wait, so what's your Instagram handle? How can people reach you? Yeah, uh, so Instagram is Justin um, dot Bourgeois, my last name, B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S underscore. That's the at Instagram. You got to have the underscore as a (laughs) reminder of the the, the email. And uh, and your Facebook, what's the page called exactly? Is it Justin's Uh, one? yeah, Justin's life on Facebook, and it's a uh, it's a little avatar of me on a uh, on a ship's wheel. It's like a little drawing, right? Yeah, it's a it's a logo that was made by a friend. All right, sick. And my last question for you, real quick. Um, yeah. Don't give any like um, explanation for it. Just say it, um, and then that way it'll keep up the mystery for people. But what would be your ideal destination to sail? slash travel to like the ultimate spot for you anywhere in the world whether you've been there or not i for that it's not a it's not an it's actually not a destination it's not a piece of land it's actually just a full circumnavigation without stopping a full magellan a full magellan (laughs) all right justin thank you very much for joining us man all right. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been dope, man. It's been real. Thanks for the time. What's up, beautiful people? We appreciate you guys listening to the end. Don't shit on us too hard. It's the first try. We're going to we're going we're going to bring this to a to a place where we sound like legit professionals by the end of it. 
Um, it's kind of hard right now, obviously, with the challenges with COVID and everything. There's no no space for studios. So like even right now, I'm recording this on an iPhone. So um, yeah, the content is only going to get better. The quality is only going to get better. And the guests are only going to get more interesting. Um, I hope you guys learned something from today's podcast. I know I did. I mean, Justin's a free spirit. He's a guy that beats to his own drum. And I think there's certainly a lot of lessons that I took away from our conversation. And I know that Gary did too. Um, We actually, we do this thing where we put together some thoughts and we post them on a blog on our website. So if you guys want to check that out, feel free to go check that out. Uh, Next week, we're going to be posting a conversation we had with uh, blog TO journalist and TikToker Mercedes Gastambide about gender roles and relationships. So to stay up to date with the content we're putting out, follow us on our socials or visit our website at www.extracurricularpodcast.com. For now, stay safe, stay blessed, and stay listening. Peace.